Welcome to the Cross the Line Podcast. My name is Carlos Smith, and I have another special guest today. We are down in Atlanta, Georgia, and right now I'm sitting with a realtor right now. His name is Mr. Jimmy Jones. How you doing? Good, good, Carlos. Appreciate you having me, brother. Oh, I'm glad to have you on, man. I, I was really looking for a realtor to come on and talk about real estate because, you know, a lot of my friends and family members, they're buying homes now. So it's, I feel like this is a be a great time and an educational session right here to, you know, teach everybody about real estate. So just starting out. How did you actually get your start in real estate? Well, I appreciate that question. Um, I got my start in real estate just jumping in like a pool, man. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where, you know, real estate will let you know very fast whether you want it or not. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was just something that was always in the back of my mind, but uh, situations led me to, to, to pursue it. You know right. what I mean? And, like, and it seems like you have to be like, very outgoing and energetic because just from your personality, just meeting you and talking to you, you just seem like you're always upbeat and always in good spirits. Is that something you need to be when you're in the, in the real estate? It helps. It helps. It helps. Uh, well, first of all, thank you. But um, it helps. I mean, dealing with other realtors during mm-hmm. the transaction, you know, it's always help. You know, it's always better to deal with uh, negative situations positively. You know what I mean? Right. Or, you know, situations, you know, bumps in the road positively versus negatively so and then you know with your clients um they're going to come times when it's not going to be pretty right and uh how the saying goes you can catch a lot more uh bees with honey (laughs) you know than you can with you know being bitter so so how long did it take you to kind of learn like the ins and outs of real estate it took me a couple years i'll be honest you know first year of real estate is always the toughest because mm-hmm. your expectations are high. Right. And then you find out quickly that um, you are a product of your environment. You are a mm-hmm. product of your leads. You are a product of your friends. You are a product of your family. And you have to figure out what kind of leads that you're going to process. And, you know, there are people that specialize in commercial, people that specialize in residential, people that specialize with buyers, people that specialize with sellers. And I found out quickly that if you try to serve too many masters, right, you know, you become a, a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. And that's something I was going to ask you in real estate. How do you know where to find like leads? Do you have to come up with your own or how, how does that work? Good, great question. Leads um, come a dime a dozen. I mean, you can mm-hmm. you can buy them off a line, you know, you can buy them from different sources, but quality leads is what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, um, time is time is very valuable. You know, everyone's time is valuable, but you know, when you when you when you spend a lot of time dealing with uh, leads that don't convert into a sale. Right. Then you find yourself getting frustrated and the process just becomes very like, why did I start this? Why did I why did I get into real estate? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which a lot of times first year real estate, I, I ask myself that every day. <laughs> right. So. So how, how do you know where to look for a good a good deal or a good lead? Is it just something you just have to take a swing at and just guess? Or is it like, can you tell, you know, this might be something, a potential deal? Well, you know, when you talk about a deal, you know what I mean? You know, um, it depends on whether you're talking about someone that's looking to be an investor or someone that's looking to actually um, live in a home, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. or actually be a owner-occupied. So 
a deal to an investor, you know what I mean, is, you know, something that either they're going to be flipping real quickly or they're going to, you know, be a turnkey product, you know what I mean, whether they'll actually be doing like a, a buy and hold or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so there are places to find great deals for investors. Um, there's a lot of off-market stuff right now, um, stuff that's not listed on the multiple listing service, the MLS. Um, but really, you know, you just kind of got to weed through some of those because all of the all of the different deals that are out there may look like a deal, but really once you actually analyze the actual deal, you know, it'll be more work to actually put in than it is on the return. And when you talk about owner-occupied, you know, people that are actually looking to live in a home, you know, a good deal is, you know, on a resale home would be something that has some equity in it when you buy it, mm -hmm. meaning that the price that you buy it at, you know, the actual appraised value of it is higher than what you actually purchase. Right. So, you know, finding those is just really about knowing the market, knowing the sweet spots in Atlanta. Well, I'm, I'm in Atlanta. So right. Finding the sweet spots in, in Atlanta where, um, you know, there are growing, you know, there, there are things in the area that are going to be growing. You know, we got the Super Bowl coming up, exactly. you know, in February. So, that's exciting time. So different areas around the, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you know, for for example, are great deals. You know what I mean? And I was going to ask, uh, you know, what, like you were saying, with so much going on in this area, is it easy to sell homes in Atlanta as opposed to other places? Um, well, I will say this. Atlanta is a really hot market right now uh, for real estate. Um, it's a seller's market. So in a seller's market, sellers win. In a buyer's market, buyers win. Mm -hmm. Um, when the market crashed in 2008, you know, a lot of people lost a lot of things, you know, a lot of real estate investment, a lot of money. But um, what happened was there were people that bought a lot of property that was very cheap. And so now because, you know, uh, inventory is low, you know, that's what creates a seller's market. But with interest rates rising, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, average interest rate right now is over 4%. You know what I mean? It was down to what, like three at one time? Yeah, it was definitely down to yeah. three um, just uh, one or two years ago. Mm -hmm. But, you know, with rising interest rates, people people are actually predicting that the market is going to correct itself. Um, normally, that happens every nine years or so um, in 2020. Yeah, so it's coming. <laughs> so, you know, then, you know, that's an election year. So it's a lot that's going to happen. It's going to be a big year. It's going to be a big year, man. You know, hopefully, you know, we take a step in the right direction because, I mean, anything's better than what we got going on now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a fact. That's a fact. Is it is it a certain part of the year, you know, for instance, like where, where houses tend to sell fast? Because, for example, you know, tax time, people like to buy cars then. Mm -hmm. Is it a certain time of the year where houses tend to sell quicker than other parts of the year? Absolutely. Um Houses actually sell sixty percent faster in the summer, in the in the warmer months. Okay. Um, you know, as it gets colder, showings. You know, people don't want to go out and go. You know what right, I mean? Right. Right. Uh, I want It's a cold day today. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, as it gets colder, people are less likely to 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 just run and just see ten houses, you know, a day and stuff like that. So um, it does kind of slow down. Um, especially around the holidays and stuff like that. People are kind of more so planning for the next year, this and the other, and just trying to finish the year out strong. So um, the warmer months are definitely a faster time. When you, do you have like a certain amount of uh, people you try to represent at one time when you're trying to sell homes? Is it like a certain amount or you just try to get what you can? 
That well, I mean, people you can't. This is a definitely eat what you kill business. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So um, I try to keep uh, a healthy balance of of um, motivated buyers and sellers on my roster. Um, you know, I try to at least keep um, ten listings. You know what I mean um, at a time. Mm-hmm. And you know, my buyers come in. You know, buyers sometimes they think they're ready to buy, and then once they start getting ready to buy, then they realize okay. I might need to wait another month or two, mm-hmm. another three months, another six months, another year. But, um, you know, I try to keep a healthy balance of buyers and sellers uh, you know, at all times. Right. Do you actually um, remember the first sale that you had? What was that moment like for you? <laughs> when it actually closed. Wow. That's a that's a great. <laughs> yeah, that's a great. Yeah. So my first transaction was uh, a listing. So it was a good friend of mine um, who. You know, when you get into real estate, you really find out which one of your friends are doing stuff and which one are, you know what I mean? Right. And by doing stuff, I mean, you know, uh, that have a, you know, a sound financial plan, you know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you talk about buying a house, you know, that's that's actually building your financial future. Mm-hmm. So um, a good friend of mine... I. She come out to my parties all the time, and I'm a party promoter as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so she would come out to my events and everything, and I, I never really took her as <laughs> oh, she don't take events. <laughs> I didn't think she had it all together like that. <laughs> so when I got my birthday, like she said, "Hey Jimmy, you know I have a listing that um, I'd like for you, you know, come by and um, and see if you can get it sold." I was like, "Man, that was that was just a great a great thing." So when I came by. I took a look at it, and it was in a great area. Actually, coincidentally, it was over there by the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium. This was before okay. it was even built. So it was a great time to sell. And um, it was it was, it was was funny because uh, I had never I had never sold a house before. <laughs> so I... Um, she didn't know that. She didn't know. She no, didn't know. No, no. You got to fake it till you make it. Right. You know what I mean? So my presentation was on point. But, you know, as a new agent, you're actually sharper than you are as a, as a older agent. Because, I mean, think about your first job that you've ever had, you know what I mean? Or, you know, your first time at your job, you know what I mean? Your first day, you're going to be, you know, on top of it, you make sure that you, you know, right. your, your uh, T's are crossed, you know, your I's are dotted. So I was definitely uh, ready for it. But I had a day when I set up four showings for the house. And so I'm standing there. First showing came in. It's kind of cool. They didn't really like it. Second showing came in. It was um, a, uh, another realtor who we ended up becoming really good friends off of this because he brought an offer. He literally brought an offer with him. And I, I had never really <laughs> looked at an offer before. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at it and do it, like there was this moment where I had to just kind of be transparent with him and be like, this is my first deal. <laughs> like, and he was a more seasoned agent. So it was good because in real estate, there's a real good symbiotic relationship between um, seasoned agents and new agents because mm-hmm. seasoned agents, they know like we've all been new, you know what I mean? So there was this moment where he was like, let me tell you yeah. <laughs> how you should negotiate this. And he actually helped me negotiate my side. <laughs> so it was a blessing, you know what I mean? Right. And uh, we still laugh about that to this day because um, you know, in real estate, you, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to see other realtors again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Either on the buyer side or the listing side. And then you're going to be showing their listing or they're going to be showing yours. Or they're going to be, you know, you know, you're going to be taking your buyer by their listing or they're going to be bringing their buyer to yours. So it's it's great to always keep that that positive 
thing that we talked about earlier, you know, positive spirit, because real estate is really a small circle, mm-hmm. you know, the world of real estate. Is that kind of like a competition, though, like like you were saying with some of your other friends and when they're trying to sell or, or whatever? Is that like a competition or are you just more open to like helping them out? It's really a healthy, friendly competition. You know what I mean? Right. I think that each one of us keeps each other kind of on point and raising the bar. Mm-hmm. So when I see another realtor do something, I'm like, hmm, I wonder how I can tweak it and kind of, right. you know, do my own thing, you know, my own version of that or whatever. But um, I think that it's, it's, it's definitely friendly competition. When did you realize that you were kind of like meant to do real estate? You know, was it a few sales or anything like what was that moment for you? Were like, OK, I can do this and I'm meant to be in real estate. When I started paying all my bills. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I mean, that's, that's the moment I think anybody realizes because, you know, uh, I've always had an entrepreneur spirit. And to be honest, I've been an entrepreneur for over 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So uh, I've always had some sort of entrepreneurial venture going, whether I was working in corporate America or not. But it's 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 that moment when you step away from your job and you and you don't have a job anymore. You know what I mean? And I was working for Fulton County, actually, at the time when I decided to quit and um, and and do real estate full time. And it was this moment where it was just like, Lord, <laughs> you know, brought me this far, Lord. You know right. what I mean? So, you know, I'm a I'm a very uh, religious person. I'm, you know, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And um, the Lord spoke to me and he said, you know, when I. <laughs> When I was taking, when I was studying for my real estate license, I remember there was a time when I was about to quit. And God said, he was like, if you don't quit this, well, I made a promise to God. I said, Lord, if you allow me to pass this test, I promise you that I will not quit. I don't Mm -hmm. care how hard it gets. Um, In my past, I've started and stopped. A lot of different things, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because as an entrepreneur, you'll start some things and they don't work. And you got to go back and tell it, go back to the drawing board. You went out of money, whatever, whatever. Right. But I told him that, you know, I was going to, I was going to, I was going to see this thing through, you know what I mean, for the rest of my life. So I passed my test, you know what I mean? So it was kind of like a deal I had with God. So at the end of the day, um, you just kind of got to walk by faith, man, and not by sight. And it's just so ironic, you know, everybody that I talk to were, you and, and Ben, who owns Big Ben's Desserts, and Miss Charlene Davis. Everybody talks about how they, you know, had to take away some of their other options and just they left their jobs and just went all in on what they wanted to do. Yeah, and they you got, get you get out of real estate what you put in. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get out of anything what you put what in. you put in. But I mean, if you really look at that on a percentage, you know, if you're if you're a fifty percent realtor, you're gonna get fifty percent results. You know, if you if you if you don't fifty percent real estate, fifty percent this, you know. So you know, even though I do events and mm-hmm. stuff like that. That stuff's on auto, on like autopilot, man. You know, I've been doing events and stuff for so long that I've 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 built a following. You know what I mean? Right. So I have an email database. You know what I mean? I have a text list. I have a social media follow. So it's nothing to step away and send a you know text blast or send an email blast out to my list or whatever to to promote that. But you know, ninety nine percent of my of, of my time goes towards real estate. You know what right. I mean? So that's my that's my focus, and I think that that's why. God has allowed the blessings to flow in is because he sees the effort. Absolutely. When when you're selling your homes, do you try to get people to live within their means? Like they might they may want a house that's more than they can really afford. Do you try to tell a pull to the side and say, hey, 
financially you may not be able to afford this, so you might want to kind of downscale a little bit. Or yeah. how how do you handle those situations? Yeah, that's a great question because um, the market crashed back in two thousand eight because people were getting into situations that they couldn't afford. You know what I mean? Lenders were loaning out loans to people knowing that you know three years from from now their loan was going to the interest rate was going to spike you know what i mean mm-hmm. so people were losing their homes because they couldn't afford it so you know the the first thing that i tell buyers you know when they you know when they come to me is i ask them one question have you spoken with a lender and a lender is kind of like a doctor you know what i mean he's going to give you like a physical <laughs> you know what i mean you know you're going to come in there and he's going to see are you physically fit for life, are you physically fit for this? You know what I mean. So, have you talked to a lender? The answer to that question will let me know whether or not they have asked the right questions to, you know, to figure out whether they're going to be able to make those payments every month, and not just make those payments every month, but also to take on the responsibility of, you know, the maintenance on the house. You know what I mean? It's kind of like buying like a nice car. It's like, yeah, you got a BMW, you got, you know, you got a Mercedes, but what happens when that breaks down? You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. So you have to kind of factor that in. So, you know, I, I do a very extensive buyer's consultation. You know what I mean? So anybody that I have, I give them the option for us to sit down and do a consultation. It, it's a 45 minute to an hour long thing where I, you know, I go through every what, when, why possibility, you know, anything uh, possible to put in their mind so that they'll be able to ask me any questions that they need to make the decision to make sure that they are prepared. And it seems like it's a a long process because one of my best friends from college, when he was buying his home, you know, we would get ready to go somewhere one time. He's like, hey, man, I got to kind of like watch. I mean, he, he could afford it. He was, he, he's, he's doing really well. But he's like, you know, they were like watching his account or something, making sure the money has coming in oh, yeah. and out or whatever. And it was just like, it's like there's so much that goes into it. So how, how long does it typically, typically take to, you know, close a deal or whatever? Right. So. From start to finish, you know, once you go into contract, you know, you are under typically about a 30 to 45 day window to actually close, uh, depending on if your um, if your deal is financed or whether you're paying cash. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean? but for every uh, finance, you know, whether you're, you know, doing FHA loan or a conventional loan or whatever loan that you're doing, typical uh, loans take about 30 to 45 days to actually close. But that's after you found the house and you've actually made an offer on the house and you negotiated the offer and you know the offer is actually under contract it's binding but to get to that point backing up you know it could take a couple months for us to go around looking for houses and actually find exactly what you're looking for it's kind of like you know people when they go shopping for anything you know what i mean you may try on this try on that okay see go in the mirror see what i look like in here you know People go into a house and picture themselves in the kitchen, picture themselves in the bedroom, picture themselves in the shower. You know what I mean? And those things are important because, you know, a house is a long term investment. It's not just, right. you know, you're going to just have this house for a year and then, and then just be out. Most people are, are in their houses for a long time. So, you know, it's a very important decision. So what do you tell people who are looking to buy a house? Because like you were saying, like this process where you're saying, you know, people watching his account, make sure to spend the money. Like, what do you tell people they need to prepare, like actually do when they, you know, find a house that they actually want? Is it like a certain amount of money or what, what, what do they need to know? Great question. Well, you know, I, I tell people all the time, whenever you are planning to buy a house, you should start thinking about buying a house two years out. Okay. Because 
you know, depending on whether you're a W-2 employee, you know, whether you have a, a W-2 income or whether you're 1099, which is, you know, most entrepreneurs, you know, the lender is going to look at your uh, financial stability and they're going to look at that from a uh, tax return perspective, from a, uh, you know, last couple pay stub perspective. They're going to look at your bank accounts. So people are really need to start looking. I mean, if you if you're going to be looking for a house, start thinking about planning that two years ahead. Mm-hmm. But um, what was your question? <laughs> like, what are some of the things that they look for? Because, like I was saying with my friend, that they were looking like checking his account, watching. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In and out. Right, right, right. So you don't want to. Um, the bank is going to want to source everything. So whenever you uh, get, you know, get money put into your account, whether that's cash or whatever, you have to be able to account for that. You have to be able to source that. Mm-hmm. So. Those are um, things that you need to look at. That every everything that goes on in your account is going to have to be earmarked, or you're going to have to be able to, to explain it. Um, not only that, um, your credit score is very important. Right. So um, a lot of times people, you know, say, you know, I just got this on my credit, this on my credit. Well, you want to put your credit in the best position possible because that's going to affect your interest rate, and the lower your interest rate, the lower your payment. <laughs> mm-hmm. So an interest rate is, fa- you know, is factored on your credit uh, score and also your debt to income ratio. Mm-hmm. So debt to income ratio is how much money you have going out per month versus how much money you got coming in. And, you know, people have student loans, people have yes. you know, all type of <laughs> different debts that they may not think factors into that. But you have to understand is that once they pull your social security number, they're going to see everything that you got that, you know, you are obligated to pay. Credit card bill. Child support, yeah. whatever you got going on. And then, okay, how much income you have coming in. And as an entrepreneur, it's a lot tougher because back in the day, they used to have what's called stated income where they could just go off your bank statements. And I think there are some lenders now that are offering um, some stated programs. But you're going to have to show that, you know, especially as, as an entrepreneur that, um, you know, that you pay taxes on your money. And a lot of times entrepreneurs write everything off. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you pay taxes on your net uh, adjusted income, not your gross. Mm-hmm. So after you write everything off, how much are you paying taxes on? And that's what they take as your income. Now, W-2 employees, it's a lot easier because, you know, as long as you've been on your job a little bit of time, you um, they can just factor in whatever your W-2 is saying and then go off of your pay stubs. So... Is it like a particular? How long do you? Is a certain amount of time you have to be on your job as well? Because because I I think they was they would tell me you know sometimes like if they see you just switching from job to job that that might hurt you away. Yeah, it? stability is key. Um, it just kind of depends. I mean, I've seen it uh, be six months. You know what I mean? I've seen it be a year. You know, sometimes uh, it just kind of depends on the lender. And there are so many lenders out here. I tell people to make sure that you. It's just like car insurance. Don't just don't just go with one. Uh, quote from one lender. Mm-hmm. Try to get a bunch of different quotes from a bunch of different lenders, and then make the best decision based upon who's going to, you know, make you the best offer. Because you have to factor in your down payment, and you have to factor in your closing costs, which is separate from down payment. But typical um, uh, down payment on like an FHA loan is three and a half percent. You know, typical on a conventional can be anywhere from three percent to twenty percent. You know what I mean? Even high. So you want to start thinking about putting that money because. Uh, aside because the bank is going to want to see your lender is going to want to see that that money seasoning 
in your account. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to see that buying this house is not just going to wipe you out. Right. So they want to see that you have some savings. Mm -hmm. Okay. One more question about real estate and then we'll kind of change gears a little bit. Well, something I, like I was telling you off camera that I've seen on, you know, I watch interviews on the Breakfast Club and they have other people people come on and they talk about wholesale real estate. What what's what's wholesale? What is wholesale real estate? Great question. Wholesaling is the process of getting a house under contract, you know what I mean? Where a person like like let's say that you are a, a wholesaler, you would go to a seller and you would make them an offer on the house and you mm -hmm. would put the house under a contract. You take that contract and you actually transfer it over to someone else for a higher price. Right. So you may put a house under contract for $150,000. Then you have a certain amount of time with that seller to sell, you know, to actually sell that contract to someone else. So then let's say you put that, you know, then you, then you, then you have a pool of buyers normally, um, um, cash is always key, so it's always good to have cash buyers. But you know, you may have people that um, you know working with hard money lenders or you know whatever lending institution that they have, and you may sell it to someone else for one fifty seven. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so at the close, you as a wholesaler are going to make seven thousand dollars. You know what I mean? So um, wholesaling, you don't need a real estate license to do. So a lot of people do it because. You're not selling real estate. You're really just selling contracts. Right. You're just you're just moving paperwork. And then it's one of the things it, I was like, it seemed like it's kind of too good to be true because he the way they were dispersing it on 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 in one of those interviews was like you don't even have to have any money or anything. All you have to do is just get it on the contract yeah. and then you know sell the contract. Yeah. So you, how, you, how, you how do you get them to like just uh, give you a contract though? How do you, well, there's, you know, uh, there are people that are in all types of different situations, man. So, you know, there's somebody right now that is looking to get rid of their home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or they're in a situation where they can't afford it anymore. Or, you know, there are, you know, they're called distress situations. So, um, but all wholesale situations aren't distressed necessarily. It could be somebody just looking to move, you know what I mean? Looking to move on. And, um, you know, when you go to potentially list anyone's house as a licensed realtor or as just a wholesaler, there's a presentation that you give. You know what I mean? There's a, a listing presentation where you sit down and you say, hey, listen, okay, this is how much you own the house. Okay, what would it take for you to move? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. How much are you looking for to move? So, you know, everybody has a price. <laughs> Everything's for sale. Right. <laughs> so it's just one of those things was, does the market say that you can get what you're offering? And, you know, only a licensed realtor can pull what's called comps, comparative properties from the multiple listing service, which is also called MLS. But um, those comps are what uh, you use to determine what the market says that your house will actually sell for. Because uh, let's say on that same $150,000 house, you know, you may market it to someone else at, you know, you get on the contract at one fifty. You might, you know, market someone else at 157, but does the market say, do can you show comps compared to properties they say that say right. it will sell right. for 157? And how long will it take to sell for that? Does the market say it's gonna take a month, two months, three months? So there's a lot of factors involved. It's always best to hire a licensed realtor. Only because, you know, when you get these Zillow estimates, these estimates and things of that nature, they are not regulated. Zillow's not regulated by 
a commission. You know what I mean? Like the Georgia Real Estate Commission regulates and monitors the multiple listing service. So, and as a licensed person, you have a license, you know, just like anybody has a license to do anything. You know what I mean? You, you know, you have the qualifications and the credentials to make educated, sound decisions because you don't just want to put your house in a contract with somebody and all of a sudden what they said is not true. And now who are you going to, who are you going to sue? I mean, right. you know what, you know, you, you know, a, a lot of times, and that's the, that's the bad part about wholesaling. A lot of times there are people that are not licensed that are out here making major life decisions. Mm-hmm. And then when they don't, when they don't happen the way they're supposed to, you know, people can't go after them. You know what I mean? Right. So, and that's one of the things I was going to ask. So if what happens if you, get somebody to give, give you a house on the contract, but then you're not able to, you know, sell the house. What happens then? As a wholesaler or as a wholesaler? As a wholesaler. Okay. Uh, the, the contract expires. <laughs> oh. So if you can't get anybody, to, you know, like normally it'll be like, you know, 30 days or something like that. So you'll have another contract. Where, but sometimes, you know, depending on how that listing presentation goes with that seller, they may only give you two weeks. Oh, okay. So it's not like you have to start making payments on a house or anything. Oh, no, 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 no. You, no. you just have okay. a contract to sell. Okay. So you have a, okay, I'm going to give you 30 days to sell my house because you because you said you can give me 150 for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you have a pool of buyers and you say, I got a house for 157. <laughs> you know. So basically a wholesaler really doesn't have anything to lose then. Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. So just like, I think they say no credit involved, no... No money, anything. So you basically well, uh, there's earnest money that is involved now. Uh, earnest money normally you'll put down with the offer. So that earnest money can be five hundred, be a thousand, it can be two thousand, whatever. But the contract is detailed enough to where you know there are ways that you can get that earnest money back. Okay, yeah. So it's so it's not bad. It's still not bad if you're also you just have to sound. You really just have to know what you're doing. Though. Yeah. In the only way. other bad part about wholesaling and wholesalers, uh, no shade to, <laughs> to those wholesalers out there, no shade <laughs> to y'all, but the wholesaling, uh, a lot of wholesalers, they will wholesale to other wholesalers, and, and, that, and that wholesale will wholesale to another wholesaler, and that wholesaler, so by the time that $150,000 house that got wholesaled, three times, by the time you get it, it's marked up $20,000. You know what I mean? And you're like, if I had a caught it at the beginning, you know, it's always good to be that first wholesaler. You don't mm-hmm. want to be that third, fourth, fifth wholesaler because now the property is marked up so much to where there's no equity in the house. Mm-hmm. So wholesalers kind of, in certain situations, they can throw off that uh, profit margin. Right. Let's let's change gears a little bit. Some about and talk about one of your other business endeavors that you had. You say you used to. Own a nightclub at first, right? Yeah. How, how did you get into you know running a nightclub and that business? I've been throwing parties since college, man. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm a graduate of Florida A&M. Shout out to the and Rattlers. Is. Shout out okay. to the Rattlers out there. <laughs> Bam, you in the house. Um, so I started in college, man. I was a social chair for my fraternity, uh, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. And um, I was a social chair for a lot of different events. We threw one of the biggest events in Florida, uh, back in the day, called the Kapalua. It was over 30,000 people. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, working on that project there, um, you know, with, you know, all the different vendors and all the different, you know, from the gates and the security and the fencing and the marketing, you know, I developed a love for um, 
gathering people together and making money. You know what I mean? So, you know, when you talk about party, really what you're doing is you are developing a, a fan base. You're developing a customer base. You're developing a, a loyal following. So, you know, I was throwing parties in college to um, basically just to be popular, <laughs> but also to make a little money as well. Um, the first reason I I ever decided to throw a party was when I was in college, I, um, I was standing in line for uh, a party and it was a long line. We've been in line for like 30 minutes and I kept seeing in the front of the line, there were people that were getting out of their car parking and getting out of the car and walking straight to the front, dapping up the security and walking in. And I saw like three different people do it. And I was just like, I asked somebody when I got to the front, I was like, hey, who are those people that keep just walking in? Like they're not standing in line or nothing. And they were like, oh, they the promoters for the other nights. They throw Tuesday nights here. They throw mm-hmm. Sunday nights here. I'm like, hey, man, I don't ever want to stand in no line again, man. And from that moment on, I ain't never stood in no line again. Because <laughs> it's like, as a party promoter, it's like, you throw parties at so many different clubs, you know, in the city to where it's like, you start knowing, you know, it's just like real estate, you know, there's a small circle. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I just, I just kept that, that, that winning spirit of throwing parties where when I moved back to my hometown here in Atlanta, I'm, I'm from Decatur, Georgia, okay. right outside of Atlanta. Um, you know, I noticed a lot of the things that we were doing in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, at FAMU to market our events, they weren't doing it in Atlanta. Uh, we used to do this thing called uh, Let Out, where when a club let out, we, we used to have an army of street team people passing out flyers for the next event or for something else mm-hmm. going on. And I was just like, man. So I, I started a street team when I came up here, you know, make some extra money. And then so I was passing out flyers and then I came up with this concept because I was like, I got tired of like having to hand out flyers for people to find out about what was going on in the city. So I created this concept called the Tonight Line. Mm-hmm. It was a, a, a phone number, 404-917-2222. And it was a hotline where you could call and, and, and it was my voice recorded every day. And I told you what the hottest events were for right. that particular day. So you push one for nightclubs, two for live events, three for special events, and four for more information or whatever. But I got more interested in the marketing behind the events. And that's really what drives events is the marketing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To where I develop a email database of over 80,000 email subscribers currently to my email, uh, I mean, to my uh, email marketing company, tonightatlanta.com. So, um, you know, it was more so my infatuation with not so much the parties and the nightlife, but more so on the marketing and the engine that it took to get the people to the event. So um, I met up with a, with a, with one of my best friends in the world, Kevin Edwards, and um, he was the owner of a spot here in Atlanta a long time ago, mm-hmm. and he needed a partner, and he had the he had the the money capital, and I had the people capital. So I had the email list, I had the marketing, he had the money. So we came together and started KCE Bars, which um, uh, stands for Kevin Kevin Christopher Edwards. But KCE Bars, uh, we used to own four clubs and a, um, and a restaurant at the same time. Right. <laughs> 
And uh, a lot of people uh, remember us from a lot of different popular clubs around the city, but that's where I really developed my my knack for running nightclubs. Right. Okay. Let's let's pause for one quick second. This is I'm really enjoying this interview. Let's pause for a quick second, okay. and then we'll be right back. All right. All right, welcome back to the Cross the Line podcast. I'm sitting here with Realtor Mr. Jimmy Jones. And one now getting back to the interview, you said one of your favorite quotes that I see on your social media is, I will not be our work. Who instilled that work ethic in you? My dad. <laughs> my dad, man. My dad uh, was a successful businessman. And I thought it was because of his profession. Growing up, I just thought that my dad was successful because he was a dentist. But and I used to fault myself for not going to dental school. I, I used to fault myself for not following in my father's footsteps. I mean, you know, when we talk about the black community, we talk about generational cycles of continuously having to start over. Mm-hmm. And I feel like generational wealth is developed by whatever you do, your kids going to do, too. Right. <laughs> OK, mm-hmm. they shouldn't have to figure life out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So for a long time, I, me and my dad used to have beef man like I didn't talk to my dad for like years at a time man because I I was so frustrated with life because you know people think oh yeah your dad was a dentist you you, you know you're supposed to be rich you know what I mean right. I'd be like my dad was rich <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. and I grew up not wanting for anything and I used to be ashamed of that but I'm not ashamed because once I realized that my dad was not successful because he was a dentist. He was successful because of his work ethic. Mm-hmm. Because he got up before everybody else. He was at his office before everybody else. He stayed later than everybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he never. My dad is never late. Even to this day, mm-hmm. my dad will say, "I'm gonna be son. I'm gonna be there at 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 eleven twenty-five. I'll be like." <laughs> at eleven twenty-four, my dad be pulling up, yo, and I be like, ready. like, I, like ready. <laughs> so it's crazy because when I started the Tonight Line, my dad used to call the number and see if I was gonna update it. Because every day at seven by seven a.m., I used to have my voice recorded every day, no matter mm-hmm. what I was, no matter where I was. I could be out of town. I could just be at a party, wasted the night before. You know what I mean? And I'm just like. The next day, I knew that I made a promise to myself to to run my business like it's a business. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so my dad would call at 7.01 to see if it was updated. And to this day, he he's like, I don't know anybody that works harder than my son. You know what I mean? <laughs> he was like, because I would call that number and I never, he never missed a beat. You know? Yeah. And my dad was just passionate about what he what he did. He was passionate about people. Um, my dad was like a comedian, man. So his customer service skills were impeccable. So when you talk about my slogan, I will not be out work, which is also a website and a t-shirt line. I will not be out work.com. Okay. Check it out. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be launching the new fall line actually um, in about a week. Okay. So, uh, you know, all, all new colors, but um, I will not be out work is actually something that I used to just say to myself when I was out there in the real estate, you know, when I first got my real estate license um, and I was recording myself door knocking, they call it door knocking. Uh, well, basically you go door to door and you just pick a neighborhood and you knock on every door and see if they want to sell a house mm-hmm. or see if they have a buyer or somebody. So uh, it would, 
it was something that I would say to motivate myself. You know, a lot of times on social media, we'll post things, positive motivational things for other people. But sometimes you post it for yourself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You post it not just to motivate other people, but because you need the motivation. Mm -hmm. So I would would say, Jimmy the Realty here, I will not be outworked. I would say that because it would be times when I would be thinking about quitting and then thinking about, you know, you know, stopping. But then I remember that promise that I made to God. Mm-hmm. And I also remember that no one is going to outwork me. <laughs> you know what I mean? No one is going to do what it takes. It's, it's going to stay up all night at a party, you know, at, at my job, <laughs> making money, you know, um, and get up the next day and, you know, bright and bushy-tailed in a suit to make a presentation. Uh, fam, you also taught me that. You know what I mean? My school. Uh, I spent I spent more time outside of the classroom developing business ideas than I did inside the classroom. So I started um, a magazine when I was in college. You know what I mean? And, you know, I would, like, get ideas from class, but then I would take those ideas and implement them outside because... I've always wanted to be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. I've never wanted to be a thousandaire. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to be somebody that people can look at and say he worked hard and he deserves what he got. So a lot of times, if you don't put in the sweat equity, then the, the universe will not reward you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and it, and it's and it's something that you hear from all you know successful people. They'll talk about how they work it. Where they where they get up early in the morning and just Get a, get a, they have like a daily routine of how early they get up and start doing things like like so what what are some of the things that you do to like to start your day like as a daily routine do you have like a little routine or you just I do I do now <laughs> I do now I mean you know it varies from from time to time but um uh I pray man you know um Absolutely. I pray uh my girlfriend she she uh she reads this passage. Uh, it's like scripture, and then there's a prayer that we say together every day. And then, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to get back on my workout. <laughs> but, I've, you know, I recently started back working out because health is wealth, man. You know, right. um, the body will tell you what's wrong with your life. Mm-hmm. You know, people that are obese, okay, you need to change your diet. You know, what you're putting in is a reflection of what's coming out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, but I start my day with looking at my schedule. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I have uh, a schedule where, you know, I have everything time blocked. A lot of, things, a lot of times people, people don't know what time blocking is. But time blocking is literally you saying from 8 to 9, I'm doing this. From 9 to 10, I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. From 10 to 8, I'm... So, and that can be as specific as uh, from 8 to 9, I'm going to uh, make some calls. From 9 to 10, I'm going to... Uh, send out some email blasts from 10 to 10.30 I'm going to eat (laughs) from 10.30 to 11 I'm going to take a nap Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of times people don't understand that you should actually take time to rest in your day Mm -hmm. you know what I mean because when you come back you'll be more productive you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so time blocking really works for me and it just shows like the discipline that you have and and I'm kind of I've gotten to the point now to where you know I'll I had made like a little daily routine in my phone was so, okay. I might not have like a time block you like you were saying, which is a good idea, but I would say, okay, I want to make a list of like just start out small, like five things. I want to send some emails, go visit a couple of 
uh, places to see if they'd be interested in doing an interview, making mm-hmm. some phone calls and different things like that. So I always try to now like stay more disciplined, and, you know, just kind of have like a daily routine because yeah. I, I think that's important. When people ask me how you doing, I tell them better than I better than I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So as long as you are making steps to to be better than you were yesterday, and by better that doesn't necessarily mean that you're making more money or doing something, but you know, you're making more moves and more strides in your life. You know, it could be one more move that you're doing that maybe you only did two things yesterday. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna do three things today. You know, being honest with yourself and realistic, but also rewarding yourself. Because a lot of times people don't reward themselves. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And as adults, you know what I mean? We don't have that many rewards. You know, you, you know, there's not that many toys for adults. Well, I guess there are. There's a family. But anyways... <laughs> But, you know, you should also take time to pat yourself on the back and be proud of yourself or whatever you're doing. You know what I mean? Whatever you accomplish. If you could go back and tell your younger self to do something differently, what would it, what would it be? Wow. That is a great question. If I could tell my younger self, I would tell myself, don't stop playing music. Don't stop playing music? Why would you say that? Why? Can you talk about that? It just, I guess it's a party promoter or... No nah, man, I'm a musician though. <laughs> I stopped playing music, man. I was I was in the band and everything, man. I was I was in the marching 100 fam you and um I'm I'm a, I'm a professionally trained saxophonist, man. Okay. I play piano by ear and I play drums. Wow. A lot of times people that knew me back in the day and they find out that I don't do music anymore, they're like, What? <laughs> so and it don't have to be music. I feel like you should always have a creative outlet. You should have something that you do that you enjoy doing, but that you're but that you're great at it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And whether that's you know you do art or you do this and the other. But right now I'm kind of on my free time, which is which is very rare, mm-hmm. <laughs> working on exploring my creative outlets a little bit more. Because if you don't take time to do that, then I feel like you don't you don't necessarily have balance, right? And so uh, I, I'm actually playing my saxophone uh, in a friend's wedding here coming up. <laughs> so I haven't I haven't played my horn in probably eight years, man. <laughs> it's good that you're getting back to it. Though. It's something like that you really yeah enjoy doing. Yeah, I wish I had another stop. What would you say that you're most passionate about? Like out of out of everything from the real estate to the clubs and even playing the instruments, what would you say? Would you say, do you have a preference, or what are you most passionate about? I'm passionate about selling houses, man. Selling houses. I'm passionate about helping people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm passionate about helping my friends. You know what I mean? At the biggest uh, decision of their life, a lot of times. You know what I mean? Uh, they're getting married, Jimmy. We want you to be our realtor. You know what I mean? There's no better feeling than that. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm actually in a, in a wedding next week where I actually sold my boy and his girl their house. So, I, you know, in my speech, you know what I mean? The best man with speech. I'm going I'm to get to say, you know, hey, I was their realtor. You know what I mean? So um, I'm passionate about real estate, man. Real estate is really what really got me into real estate. I forgot to mention was I look at real estate as like a foreign language. You know what I mean? I remember being in a room and there were two people that looked like they were pretty well off and 
they were talking real estate and I couldn't understand what they were talking about. They were using vocabulary terms, this, that, and other. And I was like, what are they talking about? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I wanted to learn it so bad, you know what I mean? So when I learned real estate and you know, I got my license, it allowed me to, to speak fluently the language of wealth. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because most people get, you know, most people, it is it is a fact that most people who got rich had, had some dealings in real estate. You know what I mean? Donald Trump. <laughs> Donald Trump. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, it's like I'm passionate about a gift that I have to help people. You know what I mean? And real estate has definitely been that, been that tool. Just a few more questions and then we'll wrap it up. What's the best piece of advice somebody has given you? Make all the mistakes you'll ever make in life in your 20s. Mm. <laughs> try everything. Try everything under the sun in your 20s. Mm -hmm. I don't care what it is. Because legal. Legal. But because you because you have time left to correct those mistakes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not to say that you're gonna make mistakes, but mm -hmm. you know, if you if you if you have a you know, if you have an idea to start a podcast. Correct. Start it now. Yep. Don't wait till you're 39. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if you have an idea to, hey man, I'm I'm gonna move to <laughs> I'm gonna live in LA. You know, I was watching an interview of um the actor that was just in that movie, um, the Hate You Give, uh the the main character, the guy. But anyways, he was also in the new edition story. But he was oh, like man. he gave himself a 30 day challenge. He just literally moved to LA. He said, I only had enough money and a, a, a place. Was to it, uh, oh, Algae? The guy was in that Algae. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I think uh -huh. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. He did an interview on uh, Wendy Williams. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I just challenged myself for 30 days to just, I mean, <laughs> as a 40-year-old, as a, as a you know what yeah. I mean? You going out there, you know, you got kids, you got responsibilities now, you got dependents. So, you know, make all the mistakes that you're going to make or try, take all the educated risks that you can in your 20s. Because you have time to to figure out how to un, undo them or to reinvent it. Because every idea that I've that I've ever done or uh, implemented in my twenties, maybe it didn't necessarily end up being exactly the way I started it, but I turned it into something else. My phone number didn't really work like I wanted it to, but I changed it to an email company. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's the same. It's the same thing. You know what I mean? My magazine really didn't work like I really wanted it to, but I changed it to a mm, entertainment marketing consulting firm. Right. So, I, I meant to ask you as well when you're talking about your father. What? What? You said he was a dentist, but what did he want you to be? My dad just wanted me to be passionate about something and pursue it, which I think is the wrong thing. That's the wrong thing. You should make your child. <laughs> Do whatever you do if it's successful. If you are successful at something, if you figured out the special sauce to something, don't let your kids have to figure that out. It's nature versus nurture. Okay. Some people are naturally born into something, you know, or they're, you know, and then some people can be nurtured into something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like people say, well, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't make your child do this, make your child do that. The child don't know that when they turn 35 that they're going to look back and say, damn, if I had, you know, been forced to be a dentist, yeah, I would have been like, man, you know, I would have been like, man, you know, uh, you know, man, why you forced me to do this? But I would have thanked him later. Because I, I think anytime, anytime you have a financial foundation 
to me, this is just my opinion. Mm-hmm. You can do anything else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, you know, if you are and 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 and, and education is a surefire way. If you education is the only education is the only thing that guarantees you that if you if you if you finish it, you will get a certain amount of money. If you go to be a, a doctor, you're gonna make a certain amount of money. If you go to be a, a lawyer and you are successful with it, you're gonna make a certain amount of money. Entrepreneurship is not like that. Mm-hmm. Running your ideas is not like that. There's just too much uncertainty. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What were you about to say? But I was gonna say that just saying that if, if it would have forced you to to be a dentist and that's not what you're really passionate about, you you might have grew to you know regret it and you're like. Yeah, you might be making a lot of money, but that's not something that you want to do. You just being in for the long run just to make money. So it's like, to me, I I, I think I kind of see what he was saying. Though, just go after what you're passionate about because if, because it, when you're younger, though, it's like you don't really like when people say, "What do you, when you're in high school? What do you want to do when you when you grow up?" It's like to me, I feel like it's a lot of pressure on kids because it's like. I don't really expect an 18 year old to like really know what they want to do for the rest of their life. But at the same time, I don't think you should force your career, whatever it is on your child, because if that's not what they're passionate about, then they may, they may do it, but they may grow to resent you because you forced them to do something that they didn't want to do. That's just how, you know, that's just how I looked at it. Gotcha. I totally disagree. Okay. And that's, that's fine. And, and and here's my point. Mm -hmm. I don't care what anybody says about money and it being the root of all evil because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay. So when you talk about having a sound financial future, you know what I mean? Sound financial future, meaning that, you know, you ain't got to rob Peter to pay Paul. You don't have to beg people. You don't have to be like, you know, you have to go out here and do this and the other scramble, you know, a short temporary sacrifice for long-term, you know, gain is always better than a long-term sacrifice for a short-term gain. Mm-hmm. Okay, people that that go after their passions sometimes never see the return of that until the long term. Mm-hmm. But like I said, education is something that if you do it, if you become a dentist, you're going to make <laughs> a certain amount of money. You know what I mean? You're going to make. $300,000 a year at bare minimum. That's even working in somebody else's office. So you will have enough money to do whatever else that you want to do. And you can make even more. My dad was a millionaire. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's a quote in The Wolf of Wall Street where the main character um, is talking. and He says, I've been a rich man and I've been a poor man. And he said, and you know what? I choose a rich man mm-hmm. every time. Why? It's because when I sh- when I show up to my problems, it's in the backseat of a Bentley, and I'm on the phone with my accountant figuring it out. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Versus a poor man that shows up to his problems, and you don't have he might end up doing something crazy to get out his problem. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To me, money money gives you options. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's less about the money and more about the options. So I would ask a child that's 18, when you get to be 35, do you want to have options or do you want to, I mean, do you want to have the option to to do what you want to do or do you want to 
be limited to wherever you are in your passionate mm -hmm. desire. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even my sister. I mean, I love her to death. You know, she's a teacher. My sister was um, a bio pre-med and she decided to be a teacher. Now, I love teachers, you know, um, but let's be real. A teacher's salary... They don't get paid what they deserve. They don't get paid what they deserve. Police officers don't get paid what mm -hmm. they deserve. There, there are several professions that you may be passionate about, but that money does not talk like a doctor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> True. So, I, I look at generational wealth, you know, and generational, uh, generational, and the only way to break those generational cycles is to force certain things that may feel uncomfortable at at one point, but in my opinion, what's in? I have a son, <laughs> so even though I'm divorced and my son doesn't live with me, he lives with his mother mm -hmm. and her new husband. You know, coincidentally, her new husband's in real estate. <laughs> So it's just like, you know, my son. So you would expect him, you know, in some. He going to get real estate license when he's 18, whether he like it or not. <laughs> so he has no choice. No choice. No choice. <laughs> you're going to get your real estate license when you're 18. Any questions? Or is I'm just going to force you to do it. That was another question. <laughs> I how, how long does it take to get your real estate? So, you know, you just, there's just two tests you have to take. There's a, there's a pre-license exam and there's a state exam. Pre-license exam, you know, you have to, you know, you have to, you know, uh, take the 25 hour course, uh, which normally takes, you know, if you're taking the night classes, it takes like a month and, and, and a half. If you're taking the, the day classes, it may take a little bit less, like a month. But then you take the pretest, and then once you pass the pretest, then you take the state exam. Okay. One last question, and then we'll wrap it up. What is your ultimate goal? My ultimate goal is to become the number one listing agent in Atlanta. Wow. And that's it. No, that's it. Just okay. Sounds good to me. When it's time to sell your home, call Jimmy Jones. Call Jimmy. All righty. Well, Jimmy, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and do an interview. I really enjoyed. It. I hope everybody enjoyed. It. Before we get out of here, can you tell everybody where to find you on social media? Thank you. Uh, am I looking at the camera? Don't <laughs> just say the camera. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when it's time to sell your home, call Jimmy Jones. 833-LIST-GYM. That's 833-L-I-S-T-J-I-M. Give me a call or you can find me on the web at Sold by Jimmy Jones or at my new Instagram handle, Sell Your Home, Jimmy Jones. All right. <laughs> and you guys have it. I appreciate you, Jimmy. Till next time, guys, keep chasing your dreams. This is Cross the Line Podcast. Thank you for listening. Appreciate you, boss. Appreciate you.